Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. We're talking about the third episode of Srugim, and we're just kind of going through what the different things are that we noticed about the episode, things that were interesting to us um, or that we, we wanted to comment on. So are there any other things we've commented on? How pants made its way back into this week's episode, also, um, and the okay, so, so that girl's name is Hodaya. Hodaya, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and yeah. then she meets the guy. Yes. Um, that you know wanted to get together with her for for Shabbos, and then she said it was Shabbos, and then later on, once she finds out that he's uh, actually a doctor you know, archaeologist or whatever, then her interest changed. Yeah. You know? yeah it, is, it is interesting. And, and their flirtation is all about um, him trying to figure out what she's even doing at the university, right? And so yeah. as soon as she recognizes that what he's doing at the university is very closely related to what she's doing, because she obviously knows what she's yeah. studying, yeah. but all of a sudden very intrigued by him. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he says, can you go with me to the movie on Friday night, she's, or on Shabbat, does he say Shabbat? Yeah, yeah he, says, he, she says Shabbat and he says Friday night. Ah, very good, yeah. yes. So, so she has to clarify, like, how you would want me to come with you on a Friday night, right? Like, that's such a, it's something that she can't even imagine. And yet here she is wearing pants, right? So, so clearly, when we were watching this episode, I texted Rabbi Pernick, and I said, this is every person who grows up in one denomination and is trying to be in another, whether or not that's more religious or less religious. It is every person's um, kind of mental uh, game to have to play as to who am I on the outside versus who I am on the inside and how do those two things conflate? Heather and I were talking about this actually earlier today. And I was just thinking from my own experience too, um, there was a point in my life where I stopped um, bringing any like purse to synagogue. Uh-huh. Um, then... More recently, I guess there was a time, or I guess not during COVID, but um, I started to carry something again, but it was very small and it felt awkward and I didn't, I don't know. I was like struggling with that. So I can understand um, what the character is going through. Yeah, it's a very, um, for those of you who who know me well or know Rabbi Pernick well, you probably know that both of us grew up in denominations that we are somewhat different from now. So Rabbi Pernick's father is a reform rabbi, um, and he is now a modern Orthodox rabbi. (laughs) And my family, though we went to conservative shul, probably grew up a little bit more along the lines of what a traditional um, like ref- reform family would be like, where, where we celebrate all the holidays, we keep kosher in the home. Um, it's actually exactly the same way that Rabbi Pernick grew up as well. But I, I just took the conservative movement and went with that a little bit more in depth. And, and he, he went all the way. Um, he went to the modern Orthodox movement. So, so it is interesting. And I think for the two of us, we had a good time discussing how it definitely is something that we still, even as rabbis, we still grapple with in terms of how do I look on the outside versus what I practice and know about myself on the inside. Um, and those two things are not always 
the same, similar with Hodaya and how she prays and how she um, is still Shomer Shabbat, but is grappling on the outside with the fact that she doesn't come across that way at all. And so people are often surprised. Could we, Other, talk, about, yeah. could we talk for a second about the teacher? I was disappointed in him. He He's supposed to be fairly dot, well, modern Dati, not Haredi by any means, but yes. modern Dati. And here he goes and he uh, proclaims he's married. And yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Michael. It's actually going to be the, the topic of conversation for today. Rabbi Pernick was very excited about discussing this. So, even though he's <laughs> not here, and I realized I still haven't changed my name from his, um, which I think. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, but that he was very excited to be able to talk about that. Um, and we definitely, we definitely will. We'll talk a little bit about what that, um, that does. Hi, Karen. Um, what that does for, for his character, but also for the general story of, the how he comes across right both because he's working as a as we know a single man in an all-girls school and also for the fact that he has to change a part of his identity to fit in with the school because he wants to keep his job well Um, he already lied once to say the fact that when he's apparently when he started the job or during the job he was he really was divorced Really and was now he's had to right the from the real Nama. Yeah. And now he's had to tell the same effectively relive that story as a lie the second time to get out of another lie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um w- yes, I it's totally fine if you haven't watched the episode. You can watch it when you do have power. I'm so sorry that some of you are going through this. Um we are in Los Angeles and it is not storming, but as you can see, or as I changed my name, but Rabbi Parnick doesn't have any power. And he might call in, um, but all day he's been, he's been nervous that he wasn't going to make it. And I told him we would still have class. Um, he said he's going to try to join. He just texted me. So we'll see. Um, sorry. He doesn't have power there in New York. No, No. he doesn't have power. No. Sue, do you have power? I do. So the the storm hit New Orleans. Oh yes. Yeah. One at least. No, it came as a two. Oh, my. We, we have no power. Right. Oh, right. Um, so, so we'll keep people on as much as they can. I tried to convince Rai Pernick that instead of joining us on Zoom, that he would join us by phone so that he can keep a little bit of his phone power. Um, uh, it's just so interesting. You're having um, hurricanes out there. I live in Orange County. We just had fires. Oh my! Um, so, okay? I, <laughs> so yeah, okay? I, we're 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 fine. It was just that air quality was really bad today. It's better, but you know, you turn on the news, and different parts of the country are having different. Yeah. So. Except yeah. up here, that I'm having snow. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um. Okay. It's funny because I just heard from a girlfriend that used to live here that's in Los Angeles, saying how I'm doing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so any other thoughts about the episode? We'll get back to yours, Michael. That will be like the majority of the conversation. So I'm not brushing it off, but we'll get to it. Any other thoughts on the 
on the episode. Yes, Karen? Did I miss something? Did we start at six? We've just been talking about what people thought of the episode so no, far. I so, hate what's his name. I don't know who that is. You know who it is, the doctor. Who? Toilet. Oh, naughty. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I'm in love with Hidea. Yes, she's great. That face. And yeah. I also love the other woman. Anyway, I've seen the whole thing. So, <laughs> I have. I, 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 I just, it was on yeah. the right episode. Every week I'm just doing the, the, the episode I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Um, I did have a thought about the male having to be married, but I think that's what you're going to talk about. Yes, that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, so you okay. can bring that up in a few moments. Um, yeah, Nati is Nati is a very interesting character. Um, someone who people typically hate um, or really find to be someone who's not – who, who is not supportive for sure of other people's feelings who he's engaging with. Right. This year we, I mean this year, this episode we saw that much more than other episodes where he could have kind of come off as a little bit just like nebbishy. Uh, and now he's coming across as like, he comes up behind her and reads that beautiful poem and, and he knows, right? He knows that she either likes him or at least has some kind of feelings for him. And he's, he's, I don't know if he's just naive and doesn't get it, or we have some nods, some some head shakes, well, who knows. Um, but, but he clearly is playing into something that he's, he's playing with fire, right? He knows what he's doing here. And, um, and I don't think, I know that in the first, I guess the first class, I mentioned how I thought that he, that he, and I still think this, though, though at times I struggle with him more than others. I think that there is something um, lost about him that he just doesn't really understand, like how to be himself yet. But I think that in this episode, he took it too far um, and knew what he was doing and knew that he was kind of egging her on and playing with her emotions. And that's not okay. So um, I have more respect for him at the moment than I do for the school teacher. I think he, he's honest. He doesn't try to be anything he isn't. He effectively admits his shortcomings in comparison to the school teacher. I don't see Naughty pulling off a series of lies the way the school teacher did. Yeah, so Nati definitely isn't lying. You're right. He's not coming out and saying, um, what's her name? Yifat is in love with me and I'm going to be mean about it, right? He's not, he doesn't come out and say those words, but I think his actions are maybe worse than Amir's <laughs> because he's playing with someone else's emotions, not just his own, not just his own life. Yeah, Esther, do you want to say something? Wait, you have to unmute, though. Wait, unmute, unmute. Esther, Esther, unmute, unmute. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. I don't think he's even aware of what he's doing. He's like, he's like a space cadet. <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely possible. I, I think, I think that. <laughs> he's so mean. It's just, he's clueless. Yes. I think I think he is he is clueless in certain in certain spaces. Well, and I, sure. I, the funny the funniest part about this conversation, and then I'll call on Debbie, and then I'll call on Norm. The funniest part about this conversation is that when Rabbi Pernick and I started watching this show, 
the first like four minutes, we had both seen the series before, but the first four minutes, Rye Pernick said, we should just teach about Nati. And I was like, no, who's going to care? We're not going to teach about one character. So here we are. He was, he was right. Um, but I do, I do think that there is something there is, this is why he's such a complicated character and someone who you both want to love and like see him do better, but also love to hate, right? That he's this <laughs> character who, who clearly at times is very aware and is hurting the person who, who I see you, Karen. Um, he's clearly hurting the person who cares about him. And at other times, I think you're right, Esther, that he is just so unaware that he that he just deals with life in a naive way that we all want to be like hello you are not doing this well you are not acting like a doctor like who is a mature person with people's lives in his hands you're acting like a child you're acting like a preteen who doesn't know how to deal with his emotions so so there is there there is the back and forth of that for sure. I think part of the reason that people like the character is because of this, right? You're not talking this excitedly about anybody else. <laughs> You're just excited about Nati. So I think it's a fun character. Okay, Debbie, Norm, Heather, and then we're going to move on to the topic. So I think Nati's unkind, and I think he's selfish, and he puts he has these little smiles. He knows exactly what he's doing. So you know he he's taking advantage. He's getting his laundry done. He's getting free food. He's getting a comfortable sure. apartment, and he has to do nothing for it. So he knows, you know. I I agree with you. I agree with you that in those moments, I think he definitely knows the laundry, the food. For sure, he knows that he's mooching, you know, without <laughs> any regard for it whatsoever. I think the piece that makes that makes me concerned about him is that he's doing those things and knowing that Yifat is hoping that it's going to turn into a relationship, that she is caring for him, and that by him allow him taking advantage of her care for him. That he's, as you're saying, he's being mean and he's and he's taking advantage of her wanting to care, but in return is doing nothing to care back for her. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, Norm, you've had your hand up. I just want to say, I mean, besides the fact that he he takes, takes and takes, giving nothing and, you know, bring your laundry over to some woman's house to do it. It's just astonishing. Um, but you'd think somebody would be telling him this, if not her, one of her friends or one of his friends, somebody would be saying, Hey, you're stepping over the bounds of, of human decency. Yeah. And yeah. It's really, it's really a Shunda. Yeah. I think, that, I think that most speaking as a woman who's known men like this, um, I think, I think that she probably is nervous to tell him to not do it because then she loses connection to him, right? And I think that she, it's uh, it is classic abusive behavior in like the most uh, uh, like not offensive type of abuse. But right, he's using her and she likes him, and so she allows for that because she wants to stay close to him. But we all, as the audience, see it as him just using her. And if he's going to use her, she should just get rid of him and put more attention on somebody who's going to care back for her. So I totally agree with you, Norm. And um, and it's part of what makes entertainment like this so fun, because we, as the audience, are really rooting 
for her to do better. And what she sees is a person who is coming to her all the time. She doesn't see him using her, except for, I think, this past episode, she kind of noticed these moments where she was like, just leave. Like, what are you doing here still? If you were going to be here, be here. And if you're not going to be here, get out of here. But hopefully one of the other characters will say to her or to him, what are you doing? You know, she may not be able to do that emotionally, but some other character should say to him. Yeah. Well, and remember, Amir did. Right? Amir in yeah. some other episode, maybe his last week's episode, use your own bathroom. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes. Um, that in some episode, I think it was the first episode actually, where Amir is sitting with him and they're talking about how he went over to Yifat's house and she fed him and let him do his laundry. And Amir is talking about how he helped Reut with her bed. And they're both talking about, oh, is that because these women are into us and they both have these kind of naive ways of thinking about it and and <laughs> men will be men. Um, and so they're not really sure like what's going on, but they just kind of assume, eh, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. But Amir actually says, no, there's no way that that's the case, but I'm done with this. When she's done with the bed, like that's all she needed me for. I'm not going to continue. Whereas Nati obviously continues. So we need more characters to stand up to him like that for sure. Okay, Heather, and then we're gonna we're gonna sue, and then we'll move on. Okay, Heather, and then sue. Okay. Wait, hold on. Uh, sue. Okay. um like hit on him last week, or he was asking maybe we could go out. All right. While the other one was in the other room. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he, um, yes, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Yes, he clearly is trying to kind of have his hand in many pots um, and and get the best um, the best deal out of all of this. Okay, Heather. Your wife. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, I've watched the whole series, so I'm trying to just be mindful, no spoilers or anything. Um, and I had to go back and rewatch some of the episode or just read about it. Um, but Naughty, he's... He's definitely like the modern Orthodox player. <laughs> um, and it took some time to learn to like his character. But I think with Amir, he he's trying to do the right thing, but he's just not very assertive. And so you feel for him too. Like he, he wants to do the right thing. Um, and I think you'll see his character. Like they all the characters, they develop over the series. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, I I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that um, we're going to talk mostly about Amir and and you see the difference in these two characters that they both are whew, something just fell off my wall and that really scared me. Um, they both are are kind of quiet and passive in not great ways, right? We want them to be a little bit more assertive, as Michael was mentioning. We want Amir to be more assertive in telling the truth and being exactly who he is. We want Nati to be a little bit more assertive in just being a good guy and being part of the world that we all live in and not in his own. Um, and and we we want to see these characters grow into menches, right? We want them to be good, good people. And yet, I think that in both of their cases, they're really real characters, right? Like, not that they are actually themselves in real life, but they are portraying very real personalities that we've all come across, right? The person who 
can't get over the fact that he isn't who he used to be, right? Now he's divorced, and so his life just looks really different. And Nati, this very, I don't know if he's well-known, but he's a great doctor and very established in his life uh, outside of his relationships, and yet cannot figure out a way to be in a relationship to save his soul. So we have these two characters who are just not mature in the way that we want to see them mature kind of all the way through. They just have spots of maturity um, that are not great. Yes, Barbara, you feel like you sound, you feel like you look like you are in the dark. Are you in the dark? I am in the dark. Oh, okay. The the computer is shining the light on my face. It's beautiful. All right, go Um, ahead. Nati is not established as, as a doctor. He's a resident. He's a baby as a doctor is concerned. <laughs> True. As a doctor. But I, as somebody that's gone through the, that sort of time of life many yeah. years ago, I, I don't remember ever meeting any guy or girl in internship or residency that was so self-centered as he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a lot of us are kind of obnoxious at that point, I think. Maybe we're even obnoxious our whole, whole lives. Yeah. Um, but most people are, too. Um, but he was really self-centered and believed that the world was owed to him. He wasn't making much money, I guarantee you that, although nowadays they do a pretty, they make a pretty good life. Oh, well, there you go. Um, when I was a, an intern, I made 300 a month, and they took $30 a month out for, for the room that we were forced to live in. We couldn't go off campus as wow. interns unless you were married. And and I, I did work up after an internship and five years of residency where I finally made something like 9000 a year. Wow. Now, now they're making like 60000 a year. And I'm pretty sure it's probably the same in Israel as it is now. So uh, he wasn't – and this is supposed to be modern day, so he's not impoverished. He can afford to buy himself the food and stuff. He's This is just a user. Was yeah, so – so I think I think you're right, and I think that others have said very similar things. I think that he is he is definitely using her. I think that as we saw from his own apartment, he is not taking care of himself in the same way that someone else could take care of him. Um, and yet, he's not doing a very good job of, of figuring out how to have an established relationship so that when he finds that right person, he can actually move on to, to mutually take care of one another as opposed to just need her to take care of him. Um, but you brought up the point about him being single, and that's actually what we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that Rowie Parnick is not here yet. Um, hopefully he's going to. Hi, Annette. Hopefully he's going to join us on the phone. Um, for those of you who don't live in New Orleans, which is the majority of you, um, there is a strong hurricane going through where he is right now. And so um, he has no power. And uh, and so he's safe and fine and all those things, but just trying to save the power that he has left. And so I told him I would do the class and hopefully he can join us at some point. Ironically, the topic for this class was one that he was very excited about, and I was not as excited and a little bit more trepidatious about. But um, he was uh, he was adamant that we should talk about this. So, um, may I ask you a question? Yes, I don't know who's talking. Uh, I'm Annette. Oh, hi, Annette. I just couldn't see you. Go ahead. I don't. Uh, I, 
I actually have gone quite a bit ahead. So can you tell me a little bit about what chapter you're following? Just yes. Yeah, no problem. So we're in episode three right now. And episode three very much talks about um, Amir and his uh, job at this school where... Okay. All right, I got it. Okay, great. <laughs> where, 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 Root, where Root has to pretend to be his... Uh, 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 his wife. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. That's what Rabbi Parnik really wanted us to speak about was what it is like to be, um, especially in a more traditional setting, a person who is not partnered and working in the world. Um, both for Amir, it's that he is a single man working at an all-girls school. And you actually hear the teachers, the head of the school, say, you know, this is why we hire men who are married, because we know that you're going to be upstanding and and good and, and all the rest of it, mature and all those things. And somehow he then feels like he has to be married to keep his job. Because if he's not married, somehow his world changes. And all of a sudden, now being in a world where he's teaching as a single man to other women, it's a very different experience, both for them and for him. So we see it come up quite a bit. It comes up, obviously, in this major lie that he that he starts out by playing and then ends up uh, going back to the headmaster and saying, we're getting a divorce, which is also a lie, but at least it gets him out of um, the school thinking that he's married. And what he finds out is that they're actually totally fine with the fact that he's not married because they know that he himself is an upstanding and good teacher and someone who will be supportive of the students no matter his marital status. <clears throat> so we wanted to talk a little bit about this because it clearly is different in different denominations and also for the different genders. Um, this is Rabbi Pernick, I think. Let's see. Josh? Josh? Great. Okay. Um, hold on. Josh? <laughs> Or Josh. I'm here, but I don't hear anything. Okay, very good. Oh, um, now I hear you. Oh, okay. Hi. John, um, so, so I just introduced this topic that you were very excited about. So do you want to start off? Sure. Um, but, I, you know, one of the, and sorry that I'm, uh, you know, not visible today, but you know, still have no power. So doing what we can. But um, one of the, I think one of the sort of the key topics in, in this episode, in episode three, deals with, um, you know, working in a professional context within the, you know, the from world for someone who isn't married, right? And, and or, you know, is divorced in this case, and sort of needing to, to figure that out, figure out what to do, you know, potentially, well, I'm blanking on his name. Um, Amir. What's Amir, thank you. That Amir, you know, actually risks losing his job uh, as a result of sort of his marital status, and I think it touches on something that um, you know Rabbi Schatz and I were talking about that I think is interesting and, and common, certainly, um, about sort of the interplay 
I use the word coupling, um, kind of ironically, of personal and professional responsibilities um, in many ways within, you know, I think in the Jewish professional world. You know, in this case, Amir is teaching at a girls' high school, and it's sort of, it's simultaneously understandable at one level for the school to say, you know, we want a, a male teacher who's married because we're worried about, I mean, both married I and about it appearing problematic, but also potentially being problematic, um, having, you know, a young male teacher unmarried teaching these, you know, young women, but who are teenagers. Um, and at the same time, it sort of creates perhaps an unfair professional burden on people like Amir um, that because of challenges in their personal life, you know, because he's going through a divorce, now he risks no longer being able to work in the field that he was trained to work in. So um, I thought this is something that's certainly very real. Um, I, you know, I know it, actually uh, it, professionally, like for, for me, actually, um, our synagogue Beth Israel violated their bylaws in hiring me because I'm not married. And our bylaws specify that the rabbi needs to be the bylaws go back to like the 1870s, <laughs> but um, but they state that the rabbi needs to be married and unshaven. Um, and so, no, not unshaven. Oh yeah, unshaven. Yeah, yeah. Married and unshaven. So you know they chose to violate their bylaws and change the bylaws in order to uh, to hire me as the rabbi. But I've seen you know I can share numerous examples of peers um, where I've seen where people feel like there's a position that they would be well-suited for or a training that they would be well-suited for that, you know, they're ineligible as a result of their personal status, their marital status, um, in ways that, you know, again, I don't want to say like unfair, but it's actually, it, it, it is simultaneously perhaps understandable, but also, um, you know, certainly challenging for those people and maybe a loss for sort of the the profession as a whole, um, or for those institutions that won't hire them because someone who is qualified and is good at their job now can't be hired because of something that's apart from their professional skill in that area. So, Rabbi Parnick, someone asked a question. Um, Barbara asked a question, and I, I, I can pause it on what I think the answer is for Los Angeles, but maybe you know better than I. Out of curiosity, she said, do local Jewish Orthodox schools also require teachers to be married as in the series? Or is it just that that people like you need to have a beard and be married? You're saying local like in New Orleans? Well, or, that's my congregant. So probably local like Los Angeles, but just in general. Um, yeah. I mean, so, no, I, you know, I taught in the Jewish world before I went to rabbinical school and that was never raised as an issue. With that being said, I was teaching elementary school um, and, and preschool. And actually, I, I mean, I do think I, I could imagine it being raised as an issue about, you know, having this man teaching preschool doesn't have kids. Like, is that strange? Like um, elementary school, I think a little bit less so perhaps, but you know, in this case, in Amir's case of teaching at a girl's high school, um, I would be interested to hear what schools do. I'm not aware of any schools that have that as a requirement, you know, that yeah. teachers in, you know, teachers in a girl's school be married, male teachers, you know, in a girl's school be married. 
Yeah, but I, I wonder if the hiring decisions if that factored in unofficially. I it's really hard to cut you off when I can't see you. Um, the sure. <laughs> um, I know that in Los Angeles that the schools that are gendered, so the male yeshivas and um, and the girls schools um, are. If, if it is an opposite gendered teacher, they are only allowed to teach um, secular subjects. So I don't know about the marriage piece, but I know that that the if you have I, I knew someone who was a man who working in a who is still a man, but working in a Jew in a girls school um, and he was only allowed to teach them math and science that they they needed to have female teachers teach them the, you know, Tanakh and Mishnah and those kinds of things. And I would assume the same for male schools with female teachers. Um, Amir is teaching a secular subject. I don't remember. I don't know what he's teaching. He's teaching grammar. Oh, he's teaching grammar. Oh, wow. Yeah, Hebrew grammar, seventh to ninth grade. Okay. Um, Renee has her hand up, Rabbi Pernick, so hold on one second. I wanted to say two things. One, you're right on the day school. Idan went to an Orthodox day school. And at fourth grade, the girls and boys were separated. And the Rebbeim were the ones that that taught the boys Judaica. And the the women were the ones that taught the But along the lines of what Amir went through, it was really interesting. Um, Idan was applying for jobs as an assistant teacher in some of the Orthodox day schools. Orthodox preschool, sorry. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't hire him because he was a guy. Mm-hmm. And they said, it's just, it's not appropriate for a man to be working in a preschool because he wouldn't be able to take the little girls to the bathroom and he wouldn't be able to, to hear the female teachers who might be teaching uh, singing. He wouldn't be able to hear the, the Koli Shah. And so they wouldn't hire a male assistant teacher because of that which I thought was fascinating because obviously there are little boys that are in these preschool classes and they certainly could benefit from having a male role model. Yeah. So there's also different ages for when these things come about. Um, I believe it's nine years old for girls and three years old for boys. Is that true, Josh? What about three-year-olds, three-year-olds for boys? Like the laws of Yichun and those kinds of things happen at nine years old for girls. That sounds right. Okay. I think that sounds right. I don't so know about you said. Yeah, I think I read this morning that it was three years old for girls. But anyway, I mean boys. Anyway, it doesn't matter. That it's it's younger than B'nai Mitzvah, right? That it's not it's not the same age as Mitzvah bearing age. Um, and I think that one of the things that comes that comes out of this that I know that the New Orleans crew has talked to Rabbi Josh a little bit about is the idea of yichud and the idea of being alone in a room with someone or someone's even of the opposite gender and what does that constitute right what is that what does that mean for the teacher what does that mean for the students and for me when i was watching the episode that was the first thing that came to mind when he said i or when the headmaster said this is why we hire married teachers because he might not be looking upon his 
students as potential partners, which of course, when you're in a preschool classroom is not the case. But when you're in a high school, if you're in your early 20s, which he is, you might be um, in that in that world. One of the things that I read, and then I'll let Rabbi Parnick speak. One of the things that I read is that Rav Moshe Feinstein, um, who is probably one of the most prolific halachists, um, a rabbi who's writing a lot of halacha for our day and age, um, talks about how teachers are actually permitted, teachers and doctors are permitted for a man to be the teacher of girls uh, if he's married, even if the woman is not in town. By which what he means is this idea that even if your wife is not nearby or able to check in on you, that the understanding is that you would be you would be faithful to a partner and therefore not need that extra protection around you that a person who is single might need. Um, so I just want to throw that yichud piece out there because I know that we're not talking about that specifically, but it is a piece of everyone's consideration when you have a male teacher in a female setting. Um, right, Parnik, did you want to say something? Sure. Um, and sorry, who was just saying about their son who was trying to get a job as an assistant teacher? Renee. In North Africa. Renee right. was saying that. You know, which I think is an interesting point. You know, I mentioned, so when I taught, when I was in college, I taught at the preschool on campus as like a work study job and, and got preschool teaching certification from that. Um, and then ended up using that to teach uh, preschool for a year in Charleston. And, you know, and I think they end the, just the way things played out, um, you know, the different classes had very significantly different gender breakdowns, coincidentally. And the three-year-old class had 14 boys and two girls. And they said, oh, you know, this is a great class for Josh to teach in because um, there's 14 boys. And it's so rare to have a male teacher in preschools, you know, um, and it's something that's important. Um, I mean, it's important for girls also, I think, but, you know, for boys as well to have teachers of, of, you know, male and female teachers in preschool for it to not seem like this is, you know, um, a woman's job alone. So I, the, I, under, I hear that point that Renee brought up about them saying, oh, you know, taking girls to the bathroom or whatever. Like, I, I guess it sort of depends on the age, you know, three-year-olds should you know, at least in our school, they were required to be toilet trained, potty trained. So like, wasn't so much of a, a live issue. Or was it wasn't a, you know, significantly live issue. Um, you know, the point that Rabbi Schatz brings up about high school, though, is, is different. And I, I can see where that comes from with high schoolers for us, again, a single um, male teacher teaching primarily high school girls. Uh, you know, I can see where schools would be uncomfortable with that. And, you know, and I feel bad for Amir because Amir obviously was married. And now the idea that, you know, as his personal life is falling apart, now necessarily his professional life falls apart as well. Um, that, you know, sort of like, what, what do you make of that? And it's not because his teaching wasn't up to, up to par. Um, so, it's a challenge. I don't think there's like a, I don't think there's a right answer for it. Um, and I think in a variety of fields, and I've seen this raised, for example, there's um, an organization called BASE or BASE Hillel, which is sort of trying to be kind of like the liberal Chabad of, of hiring rabbinic couples 
um, to run programming out of their houses or apartments in different places around the U.S. and um, internationally. And I've seen this raised a number of times there. And they have, you know, sometimes the same-sex couples or, you know, um, a variety of things. But people who have said, you know, I think I would be really good at this and at hosting things out of my house and all of that, but I'm not married. And the organization has had to struggle with that. And at this point still says, no, it needs to be a couple. Um, and I think, you know, sort of these the guys that are hiring rabbis are, you know, there's that idea of the couple, a married couple with children and sort of the rabbinic ideal. So this is, like I said, you know, I don't think there's, I don't think it's, you know, I wouldn't say it's unfair to, um, to single rabbis, but it's a challenge that I think a lot of institutions deal with, and certainly a lot of you know Jewish professionals deal with, of you know how how these two parts of life, that in theory, should be separate, really aren't. Um, Heather has something to say. I I would I will just say as kind of a silly point, but also quite seriously that when when certain organizations are taking on a couple, it, it also costs them more, right? Because potentially they have children and potentially they need a house and all these things. You know, when Temple Betham hired me as an unmarried human, I cost them much less than had I come with a husband and children. And I, I think that that just shows how how much a family person is, is still... Um, valued above someone who might not be familially oriented and how, you know, for, for Rabbi Pernick, when he was applying and saw that in his contract, right, they had to trust that he could be as good of a rabbi without a wife as he could be with a wife. And I think when it comes down to the teaching piece, there's something there's something inherently different about someone who has had experience as a partnered person than someone who comes into an experience without a partner. And I don't think that it is true, but I do think that it is assumed that if you are partnered, you are therefore more trustworthy in relationships with other, with the opposite gender in this particular case, than if you are single. And in a situation where you are surrounded by the opposite gender, again, in this particular case, though, I obviously would say that that's that's the case for people of the same gender, if that's who you're attracted to. So I think it's just an interesting thing to think about as people who are engaging with two young professionals who are both not married and hopefully doing pretty well in our places of work. Um, and to think about how different of a mindset that is than someone who might come with a family. If Heather, Heather wanted to say something and then we can give it to others. I, I just wanted to say that um, just from some details of watching the episodes, it seemed like that they were older and I looked it up cause you know, Wikipedia never lies. Um, <laughs> but they are in their late 20s, early 30s. Ah. So that's interesting because if Amir is like 28 or 31, you wouldn't think that he would be dating someone in high school. Yeah. So that brings a whole nother element too. Yeah, that's true. And maybe that was part of what ended up kind of being the concession on the part of the head of school who was like, you know, you're doing great. We think you're pretty trustworthy. You can still stay here. You're a good teacher. Who knows? Um. 
but there's still those that boundary of of yichud, which could be an issue if he has to meet with a student or you know, in the case of Rabbi Pernick and myself, I I won't speak for him. I'll just speak for me. But I assume it's the same in his um, situation, right? If a male congregant wants to meet with me, it's a, in my office, right? It's a very different experience than if a female congregant wants to meet with me in my office. Not because I'm worried about anything, but just because it's a it is a different kind of of moment when you are in an office with one other person. And I think that 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 is much more heightened when you are a single person than when you are a married person, both for the person and for the employer. And as I mentioned to actually multiple of you today, um, and Rai Pernick can speak to this if he wishes, I think it also has to do with the fact that we Rabbi Parnick and I have had less experiences that we are also pastorally helping congregants through based on not being married and not having children. Uh, and, and how do you, how, how do you go about being the quote pastor in those moments to help someone through a life cycle when you are hopefully helping them through based on others' experiences rather than rather than your own. Um, and that's something that I, I personally am always very transparent about, but definitely, um, definitely feel like it would be easier to pull from my own experiences had I had them. What do you think, Rabbi Parnik? Um, I think that's, I think that's certainly true. And, you know, there's a certain amount, I don't think it's necessarily required to have gone through an experience in order to be pastorally sensitive and helpful to someone going through an experience. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, actually in some cases it could be hurt, not hurtful, but you know, there's a lot of sort of your experience that you're projecting on another person Mm -hmm. rather than just kind of coming, um, you know, more neutrally. But I think, you know, certainly that's true. There's someone going through marital difficulties. Um, Without having been married, you know, you have a very different perspective. And I think people are, I imagine, you know, less likely to come to an unmarried rabbi or, you know, a rabbi who hasn't been married also um, to ask certain kinds of questions like that. I think there's also, you know, the gender piece that I recognize that there are lots of areas um, in which female congregants probably wouldn't come to me. And that's, you know, and at the same time, they might not have come to another male rabbi. They're sort of the, the traditional, like a traditional Rebison role, um, which a lot of women married to rabbis don't want to play. So like that's, right, that's a whole nother component as well um, about, you know, a, whether the rabbi is married or not and how, what that speaks to about the rabbi's experience, um, but also the rabbinic spouse and are they being expected to take on a role by virtue of being married to the rabbi and they're sort of being an sub- assumption of them being pseudo clergy, um, which again, some, you know, some people happily take on and some people have no interest in taking on. So I think those are sort of two two separate points that I think are both important to be made. Um, I'm going to read a few comments because then we can speak to them. Uh, a lot of this has to do with Rayut and how she 
uh, dealt with the situation, which is very interesting. Um, Norm, Norm wrote, even in this episode, Ray was pretending that they had married when she was 16. This would have explained how she already had two children, but it shows that marrying high school aged girls slash women is not uncommon. True. Annette wrote, I love how Rayuch really warmed up to the idea of being Amir's wife. Yeah, and we'll see how this relationship continues. Um, there's something she, as Rai Parnick said, I think last week, she's kind of the staunch feminist right now in this show. And it's interesting how she really becomes kind of attached to the idea of having a partner and being married and having that that life that everyone expects of her to have, whereas in her normal life, I'm muting you, Riley Parnick. Um, whereas in her normal life, she ne- doesn't necessarily come across as the person who would be seen in those typical roles. Um, Amir got to keep his job after saying he was getting divorced in part because Rayut told the headmaster what a great guy he was. Yeah, there's something really um, there's something really powerful about the woman behind the man in this particular in this particular episode, right? And I'm sure that we could turn it on its head that if it was the woman with the man behind her, that that she she gives him a really good name. And to a certain extent, they need that. They need that to be able to know that even if he's not married, he's still a really genuine human being who can do all of this, even if there's not a woman, you know, cooking him dinner and doing his dishes at the end of the night. Um, Oh, thank you, Renee. Renee wrote, I would have the utmost utmost faith to go to Rabbi Schatz with questions on any subject or relationship. That's very sweet. Uh, Norm wrote, even as a lawyer, if I'm meeting with a woman in my office, we meet in the conference room, which, 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 which has a glass wall. You can tell I've been on a gazillion Zooms today. Um, right. Renee said they were playing house, which is always fun to do. Heather wrote, um, I don't blame you, Norm, as a teacher taking young kids to the bathroom. I stay outside and keep the door open. Great. So I think that we are, we're seeing a lot of this, um, this experience of Rayute feeling out the the life of being a partner, of being a wife, of right, she gets so excited that she gets to cover her hair, um, and she wants to know which one to wear, and he's like, I don't care what you wear, <laughs> just you need to be my wife for this particular moment. It doesn't matter to me if it's blue or purple. Like, just do whatever you need to do. Um, and she gets really caught up in in building their their story, right? When did we meet? How did you propose to me? Oh no, I forgot my engagement ring. And he's like, I don't care about any of this. None of this is real. Just, just be my pretend wife for the evening. Um, and yet I think, I don't know which Mishik said this, but one of you said that, that she really is kind of the backbone, right? That she allows for them to believe in him as a human, not just as a husband. And there's something really powerful about that. Um, Rai Parnik, do you want to say anything? Sue has her hand up. So if you don't, I'll call on her and then we can go back to you. Yeah, let's have Sue go first. Then okay. I'll see if I have anything to All right, Sue, you want to speak? Um, I was going to say, uh, did you notice the look the headmaster gave when she walked past the room and um, Amir was talking 
you know, or the girls were confronting him and she like gave sort of a look like what was going on. And then once he went in the room with the other teachers, the headmaster started picking on him as far as what he wasn't eating, you know, what he was eating, things that weren't good for him and um, something else. But then once she met the girl that was his wife, supposed to be his wife, it's like she changed her whole outlook about him, about Amir. Right, Parnik, do you want to comment on that or do you want me to? Yeah, no, I'm happy to. So, Sure, does this mean you have power? Did you she does. Here? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm glad I you're here. I took Joel to uh, come over. <laughs> yeah. I might come over. We but, don't have we don't um, have any we don't have any power uptown. <laughs> no power. Uh, okay. So, we're not no. I'm not the only one. Um, but yeah, Sure's point I think is a right a really interesting one in that um, and I was wondering about that also, like when it, when the headmaster gives him that look when the girls are, you know, sort of close to him and smiling and, you know, all that in the classroom, I sort of assumed at that point that the headmaster knew that Amir was divorced yeah. um, and that there was sort of that suspicion that was like, oh, was this divorced guy, I don't know, I don't know. Um, and then similarly, when she sort of criticizing him for what he's eating and, and then you know but then she makes a comment about how you know i don't have unmarried you know male teachers in the school mm-hmm. and that was sort of a moment where i was like wait does she know that he's not married or like what's going on here and maybe it was her sort of expressing her doubts that like her you know that she's sort of suspicious of amir and then once he proved that he's married you know by actually presenting his quote-unquote wife Suddenly mm-hmm. now those fears have gone away. But I thought that, I agree, I thought that whole thing was very sort of interesting. And there was clearly this, like, suspicion until the wife was presented. And even at the end, when Amir says, you know, we're getting divorced, it's like, okay, but, you know, she, right, like what everyone said, you know, now that I know the woman who was your wife, or who I think was your wife, mm-hmm. and she's like a solid person, has good things to say about right. you, you must be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I I also watched that that moment the same exact way that it it seemed as though his behavior was kind of showing him in a way that might have seemed more quote single than partnered. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I did wonder if she was trying to pick at him a little to see if he would say something, because even in that moment, I think the thing that Ravi Parnik wasn't remembering the last thing that she said was, I've never met your wife. Is she coming to our teacher gathering? Um, And it was this moment of like, Oh no, how do I, how do I get out of this? And yet she kind of knew. Um, But it's possible we haven't yet seen him back um, in the classroom after his moment of kind of outing himself as a divorcee, but, but being able to change your behavior when, you are known as a single person might be different than if you're thought to be a partnered person. Um, Michael wrote something that I'm going to read and then we can wrap up. Um, Oh, and Roy Parnick, some Los Angeles people have family near you and asked me to have you give a news report on how things are there. So you can do a news report after as our, um, as our final 
thing here. Uh, you can show videos. You can do whatever you want. Okay. Uh, so Michael wrote in one of the journals from, I believe, a YCT publication. YCT is Yeshivat Chovodei Torah, which is where Rabbi Pernik went to school. There was an article of how a male rabbi must relate in counseling a female congregant. I believe I've actually read this, including leaving the door to the office open and the limitations on the counseling role. Um, and then mm-hmm. he said, I suspect the article may have been prompted, at least in part, on the unfortunate episode at the Georgetown Synagogue, perhaps five years ago. Um, do you want to talk to the YCT article? Sure. I mean, I don't remember if I read that article, but I think that's just a general piece of pastoral counseling. I mean, I, I don't know if it relates to Rabbi Corindell in Washington, who you know was married with kids. And um, I think a lot of these sort of this kind of awareness First, on the part of YCT, at least, precedes everything that happened with Rabbi Freundel and the mikvah and, and whatnot. Um, I think it just comes from sort of good practice from having, you know, people who are trained therapists also on, you know, on, on staff who are teaching the pastoral classes and just presenting what good practice is. And that includes things like keeping a door open and um, and also recognizing the way that people project on you know, project lots of things onto a person who's playing a caring role, even if it's a professional caring role in their lives. And that's sort of a really important thing to have an awareness of, of, you know, what role do, you know, what, how do I see myself in this role and what, how does this person see me in this role? Um, And even things that, you know, the rabbi might, you know, might be leaving a door open and doing all those things right by the book but sort of checking in to make sure um, that it's clear what role they're, you know, they are playing and sort of having those clear boundaries that at the outset is something that's really important. Um, So that I think, yeah, I I don't think the YCT article necessarily is a response, but it, but the situation like the unfortunate one in DC a couple of years ago speak to the problems when there aren't those clear boundaries um, put out there up front. Yeah, and I I also don't, I did read it. Um, I don't remember that it was YCT, but it's very, very possible. Um, I also want to make sure that that you, no one, and I'm not accusing you, Michael, of this, but I hope that no one hears Rabbi Pernick or I saying that we believe that Amir or any single person um, should have these boundaries because of assault or of abuse or anything like that. It's really much more so having to do like what Rabbi Parnik just said, in terms of boundaries, like I, I am much more boundaried when it comes to me being a single woman dealing with someone of the opposite gender than if I were a married person or if the other person was married, right? It's a very different kind of experience. Um, and, and I don't believe that Amir did anything wrong. And I don't believe that these rules were put about because um, the assumption is that something could go wrong, but as we all know, boundaries are there so that we don't go beyond them. And so I think that things like yichud and things like understanding um, uh, how status changes based on your experience as a person in a relationship or not could could lead to moments where um, you could feel uncomfortable or the other person could feel uncomfortable. So. Um, Barbara has a final comment and then we're going to actually wrap and um, then Rabbi Parnik can give his weather update, which I'm very excited about. Yes. 
As an ophthalmologist, in order to examine an eye, I must touch a person. And I've treated Orthodox rabbis. I've treated frumi people. I mean, very ultra frumi people. And I would never shake their hands or give them a kiss. But I definitely touch their persons when I examine their eyes. It's never been a problem. Yeah. One. And number two... You were talking about having to close doors when you're past, uh, giving pastoral counseling. I personally, if I was receiving it and a door was open, I'd be very unhappy because I wouldn't want anybody outside to be able to hear what was being said. And really consider that in the Catholic Church, they believe, I'm not saying that I think that it's correct, that being single makes you a better pastoral counselor I don't think you two need to be worried about myself. Uh, I, I mean, I think we learn a little bit more from being there. Um, I certainly did. Uh, and having a kid that's with visual difficulties taught me much more about treating kids or people with visual handicaps. Yeah. But I, I don't think you two need to be so worried about it. I, I don't think that that's a problem. Well, thank you. I, yours. It's okay. I can't, I can't speak for Rabbi Parnick, but I'm not so worried about it. Um, I, I think that, I think that the door piece is, is one that, that sends a signal to both people involved. I, I don't close my door, but I do have a window and I will share with you that um, when I was working in Northern California, I didn't have a window um, and I ended up meeting with someone who was not mentally stable and though it had nothing to do with my gender or his, uh, it was not a safe situation. And so they took my door down until there was a window. Um, And I think that it has less to do with gender and less to do with whether I'm single or partnered and more to do with just the fact that anybody coming into your private space um, should be somebody that you trust or that other people can see into to know if if that's um, a safe situation. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to TBA. LA.org.